You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 529 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Monday evening, and I am uh, coming back in between games. I know on the last podcast, I sort of announced there would not be a show between then and uh, and the game on Tuesday against the Los Angeles Lakers, but some news hit on Monday that I have to address, and it's probably going to be sort of a one-topic episode. Not a ton else going on in Hawks land after three straight losses, but the big news on Monday was that Jeremy Lin and the Hawks have parted ways officially. It was first reported by Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN on Monday afternoon uh, via Jeremy Lin's agents that the two sides were working on a buyout. They were close to it and finalizing one, and that the Toronto Raptors were the destination that Lin was going to be seeking. And uh, a few hours later, about 5 p.m. Eastern time, the Hawks announced that, um, that Lin has been waived, so that basically means that the buyout has been complete. One thing that's always important to note about buyout discussions, especially with the Hawks, is that they do a good job to not leak the details of those kind of discussions. It's one of those things where we may we may never know in terms of how much money Lynn gave back, at least specifically officially. Um, and at this point in time, I honestly have no idea how much money Lynn might, might have given back to get out of this contract with the Hawks and be waived. But it doesn't really matter except for to the wallet of Tony Wrestler. The Hawks are over the are over the cap, so no real uh, salary, salary cap implications there. So not a big deal unless you really care about the uh, ins and outs of the financials for the Hawks. Um, I will say a couple of details here before we move on to a couple of different topics within this sort of uh, big picture theme. Jeremy Lin can kind of pick his next spot, and obviously he's already chosen Toronto by all indications, but because his salary is so large that no team could really claim it, he was able to kind of almost be a free agent um, full stop. Uh, it was one of those things where if guys that are cheaper, that when they're waived, you might have some worry that another team would claim them, but clearly Jeremy and um, Toronto have already sort of entered that pact together. He's going to be heading to the Raptors, which makes sense. Actually, Fred Van Vliet is apparently injured. That might have played it in thinking a little bit with Toronto. Um, they could certainly use Jeremy Lin either way as like a third point guard type because they actually end up starting Lowry and Van Vliet together a lot. But regardless, you know, with uh, with Lynn kind of wanting his next spot to be a playoff playoff bound destination, that makes a lot of sense for him to go to Toronto. Uh, you know, Travis Schlenk famously said on Thursday, and I played a little bit of the audio for you, for you guys on the podcast and talked about this a little bit, that the Hawks, w- the Hawks would not approach players directly for buyouts, but the team would be willing to have the discussion if the player initiated that discussion. And it definitely feels as if Lynn and his team um, kind of wanted this one, and that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, Lynn might want to uh, raise his profile a little bit. He's not playing a ton in Atlanta. You know, on one hand, he is playing a, a consistent amount of time, about 20 minutes a game for the Hawks. With that said, you know, it kind of, you know, unless Trey Young got injured, there really wasn't a whole lot of upper mobility for Jeremy Lin in terms of playing time with the Hawks and, of course, not a playoff-bound team. Whereas in Toronto, his role might be a little bit similar in a lot of ways, but it's a, it's a situation where he could be certainly in line for some more high-profile minutes and a chance to win it at a high level. Obviously, Toronto is not the favorite to win the championship this year, but they certainly have a non-zero chance, you would certainly argue, to make a run in the NBA Finals, and that, that kind of allure is definitely something that could be appealing for a veteran guy like Lynn. Um, a couple of questions that I got about this centered on why the Hawks couldn't come to a trade agreement with Toronto on this before the uh, deadline passed. I know a lot of people are sort of rolling their eyes right now, because as I kind of did when I, got the, when I got these questions, but it's worth noting that not everyone knows 
kind of all the ins and outs of the NBA trade stuff. It's definitely difficult if you're not a diehard fan to know all of what's going on here. So in short, Lynn and his eight-figure-a-year salary, there was not really a logical mechanism for the Raptors to make a trade for Jeremy Lynn prior to, prior to the deadline if they wanted him. As a reminder, you know, obviously deals have to have, to have, to have uh, matching salary uh, in season especially. And teams are almost all, almost always over the cap. So um, the only real way the, that the Raptors could have even, in, in theory, dealt for Jeremy Lin in a trade was to put uh, Jonas Valanciunas in the deal. He was, of course, traded as part of the Marcus Saul swap. But even before then, that'd be, he was kind of the only guy on the roster that would have made sense to trade for Jeremy Lin. So without going too deep into the, <laughs> into the specifics here, not really a reason for Toronto to go ahead and do that. And I understand the reaction for not getting anything for Lin in trade at the deadline, but I said this before the deadline passed, it was always going to be tough to trade Jeremy Lin because of how much money he made. That was basically the only reason why it was difficult, because I think a lot of teams could use Jeremy Lin's services. With that said, though, you know, 12 or $13 million salary, it's really tough to move that in season when you're not willing to take on long-term money back, and the Hawks probably weren't looking to do that. You know, all, all, all indications are that Travis Slank did not want to you know, muddle up the books moving forward, at least without proper compensation, probably a first-round pick at the level of salary that it, that, it w- that it would have taken to get Jeremy Lin off the books. So all that to say, I said this after the deadline passed that I thought Deadman was kind of the issue. Uh, Dwayne Deadman was, was the guy who kind of surprised me that he was around. Lynn did not surprise me that he wasn't traded. It would not have surprised me if he was traded either, but when you go on, like, sort of go to a team-by-team, there weren't a lot of machina- sort of machinations that made a lot of sense for Jeremy Lin to be traded. So in the end, this was almost sort of a likely dis- um, scenario in a lot of ways. So, you know, we'll see what happens with him in Toronto. I did want to sort of go back a little bit and discuss how Howland got to Atlanta. I think a lot of fans uh, have kind of forgotten that he was actually traded for. It was not just a free agent signing for the Hawks. He was acquired along with two second-round picks from Brooklyn. I kind of was baffled by that deal at the time, and a lot, a lot of people were, honestly, because of how much money Lynn made. But it's worth noting that the Hawks did get something for him in terms of taking him on. You know, Lynn was overpaid this season based on what his role, based on what his role was, and what his production level was. Obviously, at about thirteen million dollars or so. But the Hawks did get two picks in order to take him on from Brooklyn. Uh, the Hawks now have in twenty twenty three, which is a long way out. This pick is not. Um, you know, not hugely. Neither one of these picks are hugely valuable because of how far they are away. But they are certainly their assets in the war chest for the Hawks. 2023, the Hawks have now the two most favorable second second round picks between the Hawks, the Hornets, and the Nets as a result of that trade. And in 2025, the Brooklyn Nets owe their second round pick to the Hawks. So, not again, not huge assets or anything like that. Nothing to be super excited about. And at the time in July, I you know I was kind of baffled by this. But in retrospect, the Hawks did get. Something along with Lynn, and they also, of course, solved their backup point guard issue for about two thirds of the season. So there is something to be said for that. I still think that the Hawks overpaid and didn't get, didn't really get enough for Lynn to, for taking on Lynn in that in that in that trade. But it did allow them to do other things, including the Dennis Schroeder dump, all that fun stuff. So, you know, in the end, it wasn't like a disastrous uh, move for the Hawks in, in any way. Now we look ahead a little bit here for the rest of this podcast. Not going to be a long show, obviously, because it's sort of a one-topic podcast, but. Um, looking ahead a little bit here, it's sort of interesting to see what the Hawks might be looking to do in the next couple of weeks now. The Hawks only have 12 players now with Lynn off the roster. That is uh, pretty low and pretty stunningly low in some ways because they were they were operating at 15 for most of the season. They have to now get to 14 by league rule by February 21st. That's two weeks after the deadline when they were when, when they first started sort of to create those spots when they parted ways with Tower Dorsey and Daniel Hamilton. So the Hawks have 12 guys. They have to they have to be at 14 
in now you know 10 days from, from when we're talking, now I guess nine days from when you're listening to this podcast on Tuesday morning. So in order to get there, they have to they have to sign guys or trade for, I guess they can't trade for anybody. So they have to, they have to sign players and uh, kind of do what they want to do. I guess the other option would be to convert two-way contracts, which they have two of with Alex Poitras and Jalen Adams. But you know somewhere along the way, the Hawks are going to have to add another point guard somewhere. Jalen Adams is uh, available, and actually he's missed the last two games, but he's, it was actually upgraded to questionable for Tuesday's game with an ankle injury. Adams is someone who I'm slightly intrigued by, always kind of was in the draft, is sort of a late second round type. He, he went undrafted out of St. Bonaventure. He's, he, he's, there's some value in Adams with, with his shooting, to be sure, but he's definitely not an NBA player right now in terms of that you want to be out there on the floor right now uh, in, in his present-day sense as a rookie. So, you know, having him around definitely helps if he is healthy and able to play, and I think there's a non-zero chance that he plays in the game on Tuesday because he's the only backup point guard available for the Hawks if he is able to play health-wise. But with one of these two spots, it almost certainly feels like it's going to be a point guard somewhere along the way. The Hawks could sign a veteran, like a Jameer Nelson type he's available, or Ty Lawson's available, if they wanted to go down that road. But honestly, it doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense to go ahead and do that. I understand the argument for it, and I wouldn't necessarily kill the Hawks if they went out, if they went out and got a veteran steady presence like Nelson or like Lawson. But there isn't that like locker room presence need when you have a guy like Vince Carter already on the roster. I know Vince is definitely someone who's playing for the Hawks this year, but he kind of is in that designated role as the as the locker room leader, veteran type. Jimmy Nelson can play a little bit, but you almost certainly want to see what the Hawks might do in terms of future-facing moves. Might make, might make some more sense to look at young players and take some flyers along the way. I wanted to read a quote from you that Travis Schlenk said on Thursday. This is prior to all the Jeremy Lin stuff, so it might be worth taking that into account. But this is what he said when I asked him about what the roster spot crunch might look like and the way that the Hawks might be approaching this. And he said, and I'm quoting here, we'll just take a look at young guys more than likely. We will take a look at guys in the G League. Take a look at some of the guys that we've waived kind of like we did last year, bringing guys on 10-day contracts. See if there's a guy we like and that is a fit for us long-term and go from there. It's a good opportunity to do that for the rest of the season for sure. End quote. So, Obviously, it's a little bit different now with Jeremy Lin off the roster that they don't have a backup point guard really on the team. You know, Adams is someone who who they could play, but we I think we even saw earlier earlier in the year when Jeremy Lin missed some time with injury, the Hawks did not treat Adams like the backup point guard. They had him around to be a third guy, and they, he, he he definitely played a little bit. But when push came to shove, the Hawks were more willing to go with guys like Bembry and Bazemore, even Kevin Herter, as like the primary ball handler when Trey Young, when Trey Young left the floor. Obviously, Young's been very durable to this point in time. Young's played in every game this season, but you know it's not crazy to think that he might miss a game along the way. Obviously, you know most guys don't play all 82, and at this point, if he were to miss a game, the Hawks would be in some serious trouble. You know, even when he leaves the floor now, they'd be in some trouble. So there are some young guys available. They're almost all in the G League because that's kind of the nature of the beast. If they were good enough to play in the league right now, they're either in the G League or they're on somebody's roster. You know, couple a couple of names to keep in mind. That this is just me. This is not source. This is just me sort of tossing stuff around as options. Uh, a couple of G League guys that I like are Kendrick Nunn and Walt Lemon Jr. Those guys are not like you know off the charts talents. But certainly some guys to keep an eye on. Maybe even Gary Payton III, a familiar name, defensive first player. Not a ton of upside there. Breonte Weber's another one that I've kind of I've always kind of liked, but isn't necessarily an NBA offensive player right now. Uh, Wade Baldwin is available. Um, that's someone who I've not always heard the greatest things about off the court, and there was a reason probably that he uh, got sort of cut by the Grizzlies after only one season as a first-round pick. That was sort of a jarring move. He ended up playing a little bit in Portland and had some nice moments, but that's someone to keep an eye on as well if the Hawks can uh, sign up on that. 
Veterans, of course, I mentioned before, Jameer Nelson and Ty Lawson. There are other guys in the G League that might be interesting at point guard, but no like super obvious name floating around that like, is wildly intriguing to me. You know, old friend, old friend Isaiah Taylor might be an option. The Hawks clearly, clearly liked him at some point along the way with Travis Schlenk during this era. You know, there there's the other spot as well. I don't think that the Hawks are going to use both spots on point guard, so they, they have to add two players in the next 10 days. One's probably going to be a point guard, I would imagine, but the other one could be anything. could be a wing. Last year, they used their, their roster spot flexibility down the stretch on wings almost exclusively with Damian Lee and Antonius Cleveland and Jalen Morris and that whole sort of rotating body of players. The Hawks might, might do that again now with 10-day contracts or uh, new sort of non-guaranteed deals. might be interesting to see how they handle that the rest of the way. But, but all things considered, they have to sign a point guard, in my opinion, and I think the Hawks probably would fall into line with that as well. So plenty to keep in mind here, but I guess, I guess of course, the headliner is that Jeremy Lin's moving on. It'll be interesting to see how he plays in Toronto. You know, honestly, I wanted to sort of end with this, but I really like Jeremy Lin. I think by all accounts, he's a great guy and a legitimately, a legitimately good backup point guard in the NBA right now. He obviously had the highest heights when he was in New York and all that fun stuff. I, I don't think he's a starter anymore. I think he wouldn't be, he'd certainly be a starter on a couple of teams in the league right now, like Orlando and Phoenix. But big picture, I think you probably want Lynn to be your backup, but it's uh, he definitely was sort of almost overqualified to play the role that he was in for the Hawks as a pure backup. Did a good job with Trey Young. You know, Trey reached out on Twitter, Isaac Kent Bazemore, a couple other guys, to sort of send him off in a positive manner. I think he was liked in the locker room, all that fun stuff. But he'll help Toronto as another option behind Lowry and Van Vliet. It's good insurance there, but I wanted to wish him well, honestly. Uh, it's been sort of fun to cover him, and I, I do enjoy Jeremy Lynn as a, as a player and as, as a guy in my experience. So... No, no ill will whatsoever, and the Hawks probably got a little bit of uh, savings in terms of money off the office. And they, of course, the Hawks also, as I mentioned before, before the deadline, even they really like to be a player-friendly organization. They sort of take pride in doing guys favors when it helps them. Um, so you know, we saw that in the past a couple times, and this is another situation where they're kind of just letting Jeremy out. They didn't have to do this necessarily. I'm sure they got a little bit of money savings back from this, but. The Hawks are now sort of in a tough spot. Obviously, the winning doesn't really matter all that much at the moment because of where the Hawks are in the rebuild, but it might not be great for development for other guys on the roster when Trey Young leaves the floor to have guys that might not be NBA players playing point guard. Point guard can really help you um, get ready. That was part of the allure of Josh Majette previously with the Hawks when they had him just basically just to run their G League team because having a, having a competent point guard on the floor with you in a development setting, whether that be in the G League or in the NBA, it's very helpful. So, you know, we'll see who they sign. It's going to be somebody along the way, I'm sure. But um, my my money would be, or at least early on here, like Tuesday night against the Lakers, which is the next game the Hawks have that I'll be in the, I'll be in the building for. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle this. But I guess I mentioned this before, but they went with DeAndre Membry and Kent Bazemore and Kevin Herter as a backup point guard. I think you probably see that now. I would be trying, if I was the Hawks, to use lineups that have multiple guys on the floor together of those three. I think, you know, for instance, Bazemore and Herder might be a good pairing together in the backcourt. Bazemore can play defense on the point guard. Um, same thing with Bays, Bays and Bembry. It's a little bit less shooting there. But if you had those guys and either Prince or Herder at the, at the three, that would be useful as well. It's 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 all small sample size because of Young being in existence. But if Young got in foul trouble or got banged up, you're in some trouble. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see how the Hawks handle this. And uh, again, you know, Young's been pretty, pretty, pretty durable here. I know a lot of fans were pointing to maybe an uptick in minutes for Trey Young. I'd imagine there'll be a slight uptick in minutes, but I also don't think that the Hawks should be starting to play him. You know, 36 minutes a game. It might happen. It might happen around um, every once in a while when Young has it going. As we see, we see that this year where he's he's gone up to 37, 38 minutes on occasion. But I do think that. 
they want to keep him a little bit managed in terms of minutes because he is sort of a frail guy. He's, he's played every game all season long, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that'll be something to monitor. But, you know, farewell to Jeremy Lin, and we'll uh, have plenty more on the point guard spot as we find out who the Hawks are going to be signing in the near future. Of course, they do have these 10 days, but uh, I would recommend not, them not taking it, honestly, at point guard. They don't have to sign two guys until the 21st, but for now they're going to need another body in here pretty soon at the point guard spot. And if not, it's going to be a lot of Jalen Adams, so we'll see how that how that, how that fares in the near future. So, thanks for listening to the podcast, everybody. This is going to be a little bit shorter episode than normal. I'm sure I did a little bit of rambling on this podcast, but not, not, not really a planned episode, just something that you have to react to, and it was a big enough deal where I wanted to break in with sort of a pseudo-emergency podcast, so hopefully that was appreciated by everybody. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell your friends about the podcast. And if nothing else, we'll see you guys on Tuesday night late after the uh, Hawks and Lakers square off. So stay tuned for that.